Welcome to Buy, Grow, Sell, the podcast for entrepreneurs looking to acquire, grow, or exit a business, hosted by Simon Bedard. Hey there, it's Simon Bedard here. If you're brand new to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, then welcome. It's great to have you on this journey. Since its launch, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs that have bought, grown, or sold a business. And in some cases, they've completed all three steps and started all over again. Our goal is to share the stories of business owners that have traveled at least part of this cycle so that we can learn from their experience. Whether it's the dizzying heights of success or the hard lessons learned through adversity, we get to the heart of what drives success and how to apply these lessons on your journey. So join us for the best insights, interviews, and inside information on how to buy, grow, and sell a business straight from the entrepreneurs who've lived and breathed it. So a 26-year-old entrepreneur, a 16-year-old coder, a real estate marketing developer, and a ski bum all walk into a room together. Now, it sounds like the start of a joke, right? But actually, it was really the start of a wildly successful internet payments company that started in 1996. My latest guest is Shannon Susco. She spent 16 years starting and growing two technology companies that she later sold for some phenomenal results. But what's really exciting is that she used her experience to write a couple of books that teaches others how to achieve the same success. These books are called Metronomics and Three Hag Way. And if you'd like to buy these books, there'll be some links in the notes so you'll be able to get some easy access to those. I certainly recommend you check it out. But I'm also sure you'll really enjoy hearing Shannon's story in person as much as I did. You know, look, other than being an inspiring entrepreneur and leader, she's just a lovely person. This is Shannon Susco. Shannon Susco, welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. It's such a pleasure. Um, I know I made a little comment off air just then, but, um, you know, your book, Metronomics, was referred to me by, uh, by one of your coaches, one of the people you're collaborating with here in Australia. And, you know, when somebody comes to me and they are raving so much about a book, you know, you can't help but go, man, I really got to go and buy this thing, right? Like, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so congratulations, first of all, on all the many yeah, successes you've you. had in the book. Um, maybe, could, could, maybe I could sort of kick to you to ask you to give us a bit of your background, help the audience understand maybe who you are, and then we can chat a little bit about your journey and some of the businesses you've, you've built and exited. Yeah, no, I, I think... Uh, you know, when you sent the invitation to to join you, which was incredible, thank you. Um, it's really interesting because you know our whole thing was to grow and sell, right? Grow and sell. We started our first company with that. We're gonna grow it and sell it. And you don't have to start every business like that, but we just had that, you know, where we were at the time. And our second business was the same. And the one thing around the first business, and so you know, built and sold two businesses. And then I just want to say out loud, you know, I went to the other side of both of those transactions for, you know, to do what I said I would do. I'd stayed two years in both at least. And then, you know what, then I retired. So I retired 11 years ago, but I really call it repriorment now. And my repriorment is that I really don't want anyone to be as desperate as I was to grow up a company. And if you want a great exit, 
then you'll have that too, if that's what you want. But we can't be desperate to grow. It can't be hard. It can't be, oh, uh, we give up. You know, this entrepreneurship thing, this, this leadership thing, eh, it's not what everyone said. And so we actually, in our first business, sort of, you know, read a whole lot of what? You know, we read a lot of what? We read tons of it. And, you know, I had an amazing leadership team, global leadership team that came together in Whistler, British Columbia. And we decided that we needed to find our repeatable playbook. And so that's where it started. Let's, let's build a repeatable playbook. And so it's the one we used in our first company. We used it in the company who bought our company. They wanted the repeatable playbook. Then we used it in our next company. We grew up and sold it in a third of the time. And time is our scarcest resource. So a third of the time. And we can talk more about that. And then the company who bought that company, they wanted to use it. And now we have you know, just under, you know, 100 coaches worldwide who use the system that's now called metronomics. But when I retired, like I really retired, I had no inkling of doing this. And the more I, you know, someone reached out to me to say, hey, uh, we just watched you do this twice in less than six years apart. And uh, you've got to be doing something that we're not. And can you come and coach? Right. And I was like, really, that's really cool. You know, that's really cool. That is awesome. And, and you know, it's, I, I'll step back and pick on something you just said then, but that you'd started these companies with the view of building something that you could sell and exit. And, and I guess what I find interesting out there is that there's so many business owners I talk to, exit's really not even on the radar. You know, they, it's kind of, they do what they do. Yeah. They're on a journey. And so what I, I guess I love about your story is that while you may have been one of the few people who starts with this exit in mind, you actually developed a, a methodology, a process for actually growing. Um, you know, so whether, yeah. whether you want to sell your business one day down the track or you want to hand it down to your kids or hang on to it as an asset, wh whatever that exit might look like one day, really what I think is exciting is this, this formula that you have for, for growing and growing efficiently. Yeah, because I think the biggest thing that we all know um, is, you know, time is scarce. I've already said that. but. When we started out, we, you know, we sort of held urgency to time. We said, let's, you know, the first business was in the late nineties. So let's build this up and let's, you know, get this sold three to five years. You know, at that time that was happening, but we didn't sell in three to five years in our first business. And, you know, we probably, we made so many mistakes in our first four years of business as you do, but we made like tons of mistakes. And then you know, we had this amazing global opportunity. Our, my first business was Peridata Systems and we were a global internet payment provider, right? And everyone goes, uh, you know, if you're listening now, you're like, oh, big deal. But in the late 90s, that didn't exist, right? And face-to-face -face transactions was not over the internet, you know, and there weren't like internet transactions were not even, you know, fully automated at that time. So, you know, that was our, that was what we wanted to be. We could see the opportunity. We actually had raised the cash for it. We had the team and then we're still this like, why can't we unlock this? Why can't we hit the timeline that we said we would hit? Right. And that's what we all want to do. We say we're going to do something and we want to do it. So we got, you know, when you go from board meetings of quarterly to monthly, you know, you might be in a little bit of trouble. Right. And so for, for us, I was just like, 
you know, we had this 10 year goal, you know, you know, best practice BHAG from Jim Collins. We had our one year, you know, core purpose, core values, like we're doing best practice. But the thing that, you know, we had, which wasn't helping us was this five year, super wild ass guess. And that's what we raised all the money on. I just want to say, like, it wasn't that, you know, people didn't believe it. We believed it. You know, our investors believed it. Our team believed it, but we couldn't figure out how to get there. And so instead we said, let's put that aside and let's come up with, let's reach out, you know, probably the closest, the furthest away, but the closest to us is about three years. Three years is still far. It's actually super risky. You know, people thought I was crazy. Other CEOs said, you're going to get fired. You are going to get so fired. Right. And I'm like, I'm going to get fired anyway. Like I'm going to get fired anyway, because I'm not hitting what I said I would do. So the, you know, the, we got the leadership team together. We said, let's do this. Let's put a line in the sand three years out. We call it a three year, highly achievable goal. And it's that stepping stone that takes us from, a, you know, the detailed annual plan that we had and lines it up to where we need to get to in three years. And you can reach out and touch three years. That's why all the CEOs were like, you're crazy, right? That's so risky. You're going to go to your board and tell you where you're going to be in three years. I go, yep. And I'm going to tell them next quarter and the next quarter and 12 quarters. You know, I'm going to just keep doing that. Every year we get a new one because it showed that we are progressing towards the 10 year. And humanly, that three years, as soon as you say it out loud, it's real. It's believable. Five years, you can go, oh, that's too far. That's never going to happen, right? But three years, you can actually, you know, actually say where you're going to be in three years. And so it's the, it's the methodology that goes with three years, three-year highly achievable goal. And then, you know, that's just making a plan. Like, that's your strategy. That's your cash, right? That, that's a plan on paper. It's the hard edge. And then we, we also had to look at the soft edge, right? The, the cultural side of it and that cultural foundation and the system that went with that and the cohesiveness and, you know, the clarity of your human system, right? Clarity of how people play together. And those were the things that really got us, you know, our leadership team together going like, okay, we can do this. It's not whack-a-mole anymore. It's let's just, you know, progress together because it's a progression not perfect and let's just you know bring that along and so that's where the system came from but it came from you know honestly we work with you know lots and lots like thousands of companies really large companies and really small companies and it doesn't matter because the common denominator are there's a team there's more than one person and um you know a team wants to be connected to the score and connected to the plan. And that's where metronomics comes into play and sort of lays out time bound because time's scarce, right? And, and gives a desperate CEO like I was. And, you know, I say desperate, but I was pretty desperate. We'd said what we were going to do and we were challenged, right? And then, but I know because we run into CEOs and leaders all the time is they put out, they have similar goals, similar timelines, and they're not hitting where they need to be. And that's what we're here to do. That's what metro metronomics is here to do is to like open that up. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So you've said we a few times. So going back to your first business, did you, did you start that with other friends, colleagues? You know, what, what did that look yeah, like? Yeah. So, oh boy, that's a, that's a good, that's a good question because we started the business. There's three other co-founders. 
And I mean, we were the crazy, like, you know, when we went to raise money, like, and I still hear it today, it's like, you know, 25 years plus later, I still hear it today. And people going, you were the craziest four people I think we ever met with at that time to raise money. Because it was me. I was like, you know, I had my third degree as out of school. I had my own company. I got rid of that, got in with this group. You know, I'm 26. We have a 16-year-old on the team, right? He's my partner in crime because my background's, you know, technology and computers and coding and all that. So he and I, you know, coded the system together, which, you know, people are going, what? Like, okay. And then we had what we call, and, and he would self-declare himself as this, a ski bum from Whistler uh, who had to get a life. So his wife told him. And, <laughs> and uh, we uh, had a real estate marketing developer, right? So the craziest group ever to get into this. And we, uh, we didn't start, you know, directly go to payments and go, we got it. You know, we actually developed, you know, we have like, I don't know how many patents we ended up with the original platform that we developed, but software patents were pretty easy to get at that point. I'm just going to say that out loud. But we actually, you know, built a platform that encrypted data, satellite imagery, and it was before you could stream it. So we had a way to, you know, get the files, encrypt them. And it wasn't a private key system. It wasn't a public key system, which, you know, maybe that's too technical, but it was a very easily used system. And, but it was as secure as it could be, public key systems secure, right? So, okay, fine. We, uh, we did that. But the, the funny thing is, and so we would take, you know, a million dollars worth of data, encrypt it, put it on these CDs in the beginning, and then DVDs. They would get sent out to like everyone, you know, the market got deregulated, satellite imagery, think Google, right? Google Maps got all deregulated. And so everyone was like, oh, wow, we can use these maps. And so they'd take it off the shelf and they'd want uh, a key to open up one of the tiles, right? I mean, crazy. And so they would call us or, you know, they would type it in to the online. But most of the time in the beginning, they called us and gave us a credit card number. If you can imagine, we put a key to it in. And then we went, well, that's silly. Let's just like e-commerce is a thing. Let's just automate it. We'll find someone. There's many services out there. And then what we found is there's not, right? And that was the opportunity because we had connected it all for that industry, that niche. And we were like the first transactions in Canada where, and in the US of a certain protocol that was the securest. And so all the banks came to us and they're like, oh my gosh, can you process other clients we have, other bank clients? And we we're like, <laughs> it took about two seconds for the team to agree to that. We're like, yes, of course we can, right? I'll get an agreement, right? And, and back in the day, we actually took a percentage of the revenue they processed through our platform, like a credit card company, right? Nice. I mean, that, you know, and that, that model, that business, you know, got fully commoditized as it would, but it's, and we had then had to, you know, change our strategy, evolve, right? But it was, it was a huge journey. And so, yeah, the we is the craziest we that, you know, Vancouver's seen for sure. And, and I think, you know, as we moved to payments, the 16 year old went to university. So, cause I was like, you should go to university. Like that, that'd be a good place, you know, go do go do some great stuff. But he didn't stay long. He went and created another great success story in British Columbia. 
That, that's a whole nother story. Really, really good. And then um, my other two co-founders said, you know, we don't know this business at all. Like we're, we're just, we don't, we don't think we can add value. And they stepped out. So then I was left holding the bag. You know, that's where, when you go, okay, I'm left with all the shareholders. We'd raised over 30 million US to actually deliver on this. So that's, that's where, you know, the system came from because we weren't going to not deliver. Wow. Wow. What an interesting. So, I mean, I, I've heard of teams coming together and them all being different people with different skills and that was the strength <laughs> and all that stuff. But like, that's, that's a really nice eclectic mix oh there. Oh my so. gosh. Oh my gosh. And, <laughs> and it's awesome. You know, the 16 year old who joined our team, David Slick, I mean, uh, you know, won the international gold medal at the computer science fair at 14 and 15, like not a slouch whatsoever. Right. Like just incredibly intelligent and creative and innovative. It was really fun to work with him. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'd love to ask and, and please, you know, stop me if I'm treading on anything that might be confidential or that's whatever. Yeah. But I, I'm curious, you know, you said that a couple of, of the partners exited and stuff like that. Can, I mean, what what was that like? I mean, how did you approach that sort of stuff? Did they get bored out? Did they? I mean, you know, you always hear of business partners. Some of them finish on wonderful terms. Some of them have a really challenging time. What what was it like for you? Yeah. So, you know, each one was a little bit different. So, you know, David was easy. He he was going off to university. I felt like I was his work mom and. You know, one of the other founders felt like he was a work dad because we traveled a lot. We'd done Silicon Valley a lot, been to all the big shows. And yeah, so it was sort of like, you know, a send off. It was actually really great. Um, you know, our marketing developer, he went off and created a complimentary company to ours. So that was cool. That was cool. And then, and then um, you know, what we call the ski bum from Whistler uh, you know, he, it was a bit, it was a bit tougher because I mean, he was the one driving, he was the CEO of the time and that's a tough thing to step back. But I love that he was realistic and said, the business is going in a direction that I don't think I can guide it or lead it. And, and so, you know, he stayed on the board for a little bit. He kept his shares. They all kept their shares. So they all won in the end. Um, and you know, Dan went on to do other things. And it's it's just really great to see that. Now, I know, and you know, you work with companies, I work with companies, it's not always as clean as that. It can be really hairy. Um, you are when you partner up with others, whether it's two or three, you are married and you better before you partner up, align your core values, right? Understand and you know what are the end goals that you have the same goals, all of those things that you would do if, if you got married. And so when I think about my second business, you know, I partnered, I had a different partner. And uh, before we, you know, partnered uh, and with the opportunity that we had in front of us, we actually took, you know, that kickoff, the, what we call the kickoff in metronomics, verbatim and we did all the work and more in for the first four quarters of, of metronomics we did like a year's worth of work in a couple of months to lay out the plan to convince ourselves both of us that we were passionate we believed we were going to do this together and take it out the other side and 
you know, we had been in the same CEO roundtable, like a YPO form or an EO form, that kind of thing for years. We knew one another well, similar core values, but we still did that work to make sure that we had the same end game for the same reason and that we're going to drive together to get there. And interestingly enough, you know, in that business and in that, in that business in particular, um, unfortunately, you know, his uh, wife became quite ill in our second year in business. And so he stepped out and that's okay. You know, I kept driving, you know, I was a CEO all the way through and uh, he stepped out and we had backed it up. And the, that Subservio is my second company. And we built it from, you know, with the end in mind, before we opened the door, we were like, we got this right. Even though it didn't go exactly as planned, but we had a three hag and we actually sold on our three hag. Our three hag was 12 quarters later. We took two term sheets to buy the company, two term sheets for institutional financing. And the two term sheets we took for to you know, acquire the company were beyond the number we had written down and put under our monitor stand. If anyone's listening and you want to exit, write your number down, put it under your monitor stand and don't forget that that's the number that's going to make you happy. Don't get caught up in the deal, the little nitty gritty stuff, 10K here, 50K here, when we're talking tens of million dollars for a deal, right? That's yeah. not worth it. That's a, that's a really interesting tip you just said. I, I, um, my, the last podcast I did was with a chap, Greg Alexander, and he sold his business for $162 million. It was an yeah, amazing deal. Amazing. And, and he shared a little piece of advice there, which I think is kind of similar to what you're saying, is that he said, you know, you need to kind of have two numbers in your head. What is the number that you believe the business is worth to you? And then yeah. there's a number of what the market thinks your business is worth. And he said, and look, quite frankly, anyone listening, if you get an offer that's above what the business is worth to you, take it, take the number. Take it, take it and run, <laughs> right? Because it's, it's not, you know, that's not worth it. And I can tell you in my first business, we had that twice and the board was like, no, we can go bigger. We can go bigger. And this is after we got metronomics going and all those things, even the third time, and we did sell it on the third time, you know, I actually said on the third time, I said, six more months, we'll be in a better position. It'll be a higher value. And like, they didn't go for that. They're no, let's go now. Right. And I was like, you know, that that's just, you know, I said, let's go, you know, let's make it happen because, you know, we, I think we missed out on the first two, but they had different agendas and that's why agendas are really important. And having that end in mind, as you said, is super important because there was times with my partner in my second business that, you know, I'm negotiating the deal. He's not in the business anymore. He's, you know, he's chairing the board. He's like, you know, my coach keeping me in line, but there's times during the deal where, you know, there, there might be an adjustment being made and, you know, he's like, that's bullshit. Yeah. You, you go back all that stuff. And I'd be like, I'd go to my monitor, I'd pull out the piece of paper and I go, do you remember this? We are so far beyond this. This is way beyond our expectations. Like we sold for 60 times top line. Like let's not nickel and dime a few things. Let's, let's just be happy and let's deal with the things. Like that's not something we're going to break the deal over. Right. Okay. Okay. Can I, can I pause good. you? To, 
I've got to stop you there just for one second, only because you that rattled off your tongue like it was just like an everyday ordinary thing, and I'm just I'm still kind of catching up with my my brain's trying to catch up. <laughs> do you, you said you sold for sixty times top line? Is that correct? Top line. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Wow. Yep. Uh, I mean, because we were only three. We yeah, we were. And and what I want people to realize with the metronomic system is we did start that company at the end in mind. We were swimming, swinging for the fence again. We were going three to five years. We got hit, we hit three, which is amazing, which is a third of the time of my first business, which was 10 years, right? Time is scarce. Time is scarce, right? So let's get the playbook in place. Let's get the scoreboard in place. Let's know what our business Olympics is. What's the end game? And most of all, and I don't say this because I coach today, I say it because I was coached get a team coach. There's no team out there without that. So that's interesting. You said team coach. And I think a lot of people listening to this will be very familiar with having their own kind of business coach, somebody that coaches them personally. But are you saying a team coach is something different to that? Yes, absolutely. So I was a young CEO with a very, you know, old traditional board who was going, oh my God, we're going to bet. Cause you know, I came into the CEO role like two years in and they're like going, we're going to bet on a founder, a tech woman. Ah, right. And <laughs> <laughs> like, holy shit, what are we doing? <laughs> right. Um, but, but the thing was, is that we did go out to look for a CEO. Like I said, yeah, I don't care. I own part of the company. If someone can do it better than I can, let's do it. Cause you're right. I have not done it. Let's go. We went and found uh, someone who agreed with me that they would be the CEO. And little to my knowledge, did when we presented and we went and interviewed with the board because I brought them, he like goes, yeah, no, I'm not here to be the CEO. I was like, (laughs) I was sitting there going, holy. He goes, you've got a CEO and she's awesome. Her name is Shannon and she's awesome. And I was like, oh, that's really nice. That's really cool. He was like, I don't know. I was, I'm 26, 27. He's like, I don't know. I'd say, oh, he'd be easily in his sixties. He's like the granddaddy of tech in Canada. Like so lucky to have found him. He goes, what I will do is I will, I will offer my time uh, to chair the board and to coach Shannon. And so everybody bought that. Everyone said, yes, if he's willing to back me like that, they said, yes. And then he came in to coach just me. So for listeners who have just an individual coach, that's great. It gets you so far. But people who are coached can be good. People who are coached with their team. So leaders who are coached with their team grow with their team. It, it actually takes to the next level. So what I did after a little while with my coach, I said to him, I said, this is, you know, he was giving a hassle on a couple things. He's like, like, do you really know how to do this? Like, here's a few more books. I'm like, oh, I read those books, but I'll read them again. Right. Crazy reader. And, um, I came back and he's like, what'd you learn? I go, well, I did that. You know, it was all about delegation. And I'm like, you know, I came back to him. I go, what I learned about delegation is that if I delegate something, I still own it. But if I can create the team to understand the context, they will actually have a decision. You know, they can recommend a solution and own the solution and deliver the solution. It's theirs, right? Very human. So we, we had, you know, our, our time. It was like really fun to work with him. 
But then it got to a point, I said, you know, it'd be really great if you came with me to our planning session. You came with me to my planning session and you're going to coach me and the team because that's how we're going to make the most, that's how we're going to get going a bit faster. You're a blind spot remover. I have blind spots. The team's got blind spots. You can see things we can't see and you've got the experience to go with that. So he was like, yeah, okay. You know, so he started coming. And so even when the first, uh, when I retired, the first uh, CEO called me and when he asked me, would I coach him and his, he actually, would I, would I be their coach? I was like, okay, that's interesting. You know, and we chatted a bit and I said, why, why are you calling me? And he said, well, it looks like you've got a system or something because you just don't do that every day. I'm slogging here for 15 years and you come up and do this twice. Like this is crazy. And so I said, okay, well, what kind of coach? And he said it out loud, which is awesome. He goes, I need a coach for myself and my leadership team coach the team. And I never, I never shared that with anyone that I had a team coach, a business team coach. My coach was a business team coach. That's what I do today. That's what I did from that very first company. And I said to him, I go, I'm willing to, uh, to go, you know, to work with you, but I don't know if this system's going to work for you. Right. I don't know if it's going to work for you because like, I don't know if it's because I was involved in every one of those that it worked. I said, so if you'll work with me, let's figure it out. And so, you know, off we went and, you know, lo and behold, it, yeah, it works for a team that I coached. Okay, great. Right. And, you know, really as a CEO, you're coaching anyway, but you're on, you know, you're in it. When you're a coach, you're taking a step back. And so the blind spot remover, which is what we are today, what I do today is we actually remove the blind spots and we save time. And time again is our scarcest resource. Yeah, it's uh, it, um, if I can take it back a step again, I'm, I was curious, you've started this business and I'm talking about the second one here. So, um, so Subservio, yeah. having been through the experience of Paradata, I, I, what I'm taking from what you've said is that not only did you learn from a lot of mistakes and you started to develop a bit of a system of how you wanted to approach yeah, it. Something. Yeah, but I'm, I'm also curious about the mindset when you start another company like this, you know, you've been through it and you've actually done the exit as well. Do you, I, I presume you came at that business with a different set of resources behind you as well. And I'm not asking what you sold your first business for, oh, but interesting. is there a different mindset though? Well, okay. So th that's a really, really interesting question because when we went to our second business, I think I was hell-bent to do it, not, not putting in any money. Myself and my co-founder did not put in any money. We um, didn't raise any money to get it going. And we fully you know, worked the metronomics framework to come up with a strategy and a business model that would upfront customer fund it. Wow. We customer funded it. And like, you know, my, my partner at that time was like, oh my gosh. I said, no, we're doing this. Like, you know, we were, uh, again, my, both businesses were, you know, FinTech, FinTech wasn't a thing then, but FinTech, right? They were platforms, they were subscription-based. It was B2B, all of that. And the second time we actually sold, you know, upfront as you would, as a good SaaS business would, is, you know, a year's worth of subscription. It's just that these subscriptions were six figures. 
right? So they're like, like the Canadians, you know, who are, I love our first customers and our partners and all that. Like they're putting that on their credit card because they want the points, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? They call the credit card company and go, we're going to do a really big transaction. I've got the money or they put the money already on, like do the PO and everything in their business. And we're like, Subservio was post-trade compliance, automated post-trade compliance for broker dealers. Like if that's not the geekiest niche ever, it is. But, um, you know, and compliance when that was offered to me by one of my other roundtable members, well, it was offered to me as a orphan technology. And I'd sort of done my time with the first company that I was exiting now, you know, on the other side of it. Um, he's like, well, I've got two opportunities. One is you know, I'd love for you to consider coming and running my business, right? Or he said, I have this orphan technology. And he told me what it was. And I was like, ah, oh. like I went home that night going, that's like watching paint dry <laughs> compliance, right? Like, but think of it, it was 2008. Okay, in a down market, compliance is like the hottest thing. And the thing that really got us to where we needed to go was, so we had our three hag, right? So we had our three hag. We took term sheets on our three hag. But what we got valued on was not the last three years. Even what we got valued on was our three hag that was three years out. So we got valued on a six-year-old business that was growing at ridiculous, like we were like rocket ship, right? And we got valued, strategically valued on our three hag. So when I work with companies to help them sell their, like lots of people come to me and they go, hey, we want to sell our business. I go, what's your timeline? They go, yeah, in the next year. And I go, well, what do you want? What, what are you looking to get from it? You know, and they might give me a multiple of one and a half, two. I'm like, really? Really? Are you going to be happy with that? What's your number? And they don't have a number. You know that. Um, and then I, then I go, um, do you still have some energy left? Like, I know some people are tired. You've slogged it for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. I have like one of the companies that just sold last November, I guess a year ago, November, actually in the pandemic. Um, you know, we had worked towards it three years and just happened to be in a pandemic uh, when he sold it. But it, that was fine. We held the value. Um, but when he came to me, he's like, you know, next year, year and a half. And I said, you know, it's 30 year old business. I go, do you have the energy? to go for a maximum of three, minimum of two. And we're gonna like get the momentum going to show the predictability in your business so that your buyer will actually believe your three hug because you've got the track record to show it. You've got the strategy you get, and they're gonna pay more for that. Well, would you be up for that? Well, of course he said yes, right? He's up for it and he got a ridiculous valuation and very, very happy walking away. And he's actually one of our coaches now. Right. We've been we've been feeding in the exits, the co you know, back into our coaching practice. So we have lots of coaches who are CEOs who have exited and, and use this system to exit. And you know, you don't have to use it to exit. We also use this system for, you know, there's so many family businesses out there. It's a great way to to use that objective cadence of the system, the strategy, the cash, right, the execution lined up with the team. And to, to balance it out and, and drive that, the succession through generations, right? So I've got three different companies that have gone through it that way. And just gives a, a clarity to, you know, the next, the next group, that next generation coming in, right? And even with the business, yeah, 
like it's huge, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, we're often saying on the show, you know, whether you want to sell your company or not, there's enormous power and value in building a company that is saleable. Um, you know, it's, it's, yeah. I, I, I don't know how many times I've lost count of how many times I've said this to clients, prospective clients, the world, anyone who'll listen. At the end of the day, building a saleable company gives you choices. It gives you options. And actually yeah. in life where yeah. curveballs come at you constantly, isn't having yeah. options the real power? It, it is. And that's why, I mean, when I think about when we got this going in my first company, you know, that it gave us like within, you know, it takes a bit to get it going. We know that it can take four, four quarters, eight quarters, 12 quarters. But that's, that's where you need to get to in order to and then have options and choices and all those things. I have some CEOs who've been doing metronomics for nine years. A lot of people go nine years. Haven't they figured out yet? Haven't they graduated? And I go to what? What would they graduate to? There's nothing else that they would graduate to. And quite frankly, if an offer came along to the number that they pulled out under, under their monitor, like I just had that CEO go, I think my number's gone up. I'm having so much fun. Now it's not a slog, right? It's like, I'm not swimming in quicksand anymore. I'm swimming in like open air. It's so fun, right? And they're getting the balance and the freedom. And that's why metronomics, like in the title, it's sort of cliche. And in the cover of the book is my backyard, which is Whistler in the mountains. And someone said to me the other day, they said, was it on purpose? You have the skiers like on the cover. And it's not me, by the way. I just found this gorgeous photo with skiers on it. But like it's to represent me because, you know, my whole goal, I built all the companies up in Whistler, which is, you know, a world class ski resort. And I'm a ski bum, like I say that nicely earlier, but I am a ski bum. And it was, you know, I wanted the passion to grow up myself and to grow up my team and grow up the company, but I wasn't going to give up my life for that. And I wanted to find a way to balance it all, right? And so a lot of people go, that just doesn't exist. And I go, well, that's not true, right? We can find a way to do that. And that's, that's actually why in my reprirement, right? I'm out there and why I love coming on and talking to you because you understand. And we've got listeners who are making decisions on what they should be doing next, right? What are they going to commit to? And the, the, number, the number one thing in metronomics, so we have the playbook, we have the open playing field and scoreboard. We have that coach who understands how to actually coach it into the business team. But the number one thing that must be in place is a committed leadership team, CEO plus leadership team committed, and they have the willingness and desire to evolve, to progress. That's it. If you have a team that's willing to progress, you know, willing to commit, the rest is really easy, right? The rest is really easy. And we don't say easy too much when we're growing businesses. <laughs> <laughs> totally. That's, that's really powerful. Um, I, I'm curious about, you know, you mentioned a few times about time being, you know, obviously our most valuable resource and it's finite and yeah. everything needs to be time bound to really fundamentally get results. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to almost take a, a, a slightly different look at time as a concept and talk maybe about timing. And, you know, something that I've seen many, many times over the years is the impact that timing can have 
on the success of an entrepreneur. And, and I guess to you, as somebody who is a very successful entrepreneur, successfully exited numerous businesses, have a plan, have a system. But how, how important is timing in the overall context of bringing an idea to market or finding the right buyers? I mean, you know, and I'll get a little bit of context here is that we're in a, what I would say is an M&A feeding frenzy globally at the moment, you know, yes. where there's so much money, yes. there's so much appetite, Certainly. there's more buyers than sellers. So you get that, you get all this, but can you, can you talk to yeah. me, what, what's your thoughts around that stuff? Well, the thing that I, that I think about with timing is you, you can make your own timing, right? You can make your own timing. And, but how you make your own timing is being absolutely clear and strong on the external dynamics that are going on in your marketplace. And the one thing I learned is, is that most teams are not, they're not, they don't spend enough time on the external side of it and they don't balance that out with the internal analysis of their business. And so when things are happening out there, there sometimes it goes right by, right? We didn't even see it go by or someone comes knocking and you didn't expect them to knock. Like we shouldn't, those should not be surprises. I just want to say that. That those two, those term sheets we took, at, you know, in Subservio, the, the two that we took, like we went and we started dating those companies, even though they didn't know we were dating them. We were dating them three years in advance of that. Three years in advance of that. And, you know, could we have sold a year into that? Maybe if we thought the timing was right. We get to decide what the timing is. And that's why writing the, the valuation down that you're looking for, that's going to make you happy to walk away, that total net dollar value that you want to walk away with, that you're going to work hard for, like you make up that timing. And there are so many things that get missed. And so I said in my first business, there's two times but timing was right that, you know, from my perspective, the leader's perspective, that we went to the board and highly recommended this would be a good time. They didn't agree. They didn't agree. And you know what? That's on me because as CEO, I should have had schooled them. I should have had got them into a better place to understand the dynamics of the market and how great that was. So, you know, lesson learned. <laughs> Next time round, it went again, right? We missed again. It's not that they didn't. They just saw what we were doing and they had bigger agendas. Yeah, yeah. Can, can I ask, in, in, in Subservia, may I ask what percentage of the business you owned when, when you actually exited? Yeah, there's three of us. So, and uh, there's two of us that own the majority, myself and my partner. And there we had one more silent partner where we got the um, technology from. We did a vendor take back. Remember I said, we weren't, we weren't raising dollars. We weren't doing that. Like, um, we're going to find another way to actually take this business to the next level without anybody taking anybody's dollars. Yep. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So how did you feel when you've got this idea of wanting to exit and you've got a board? So, you know, you and with your other business partner, you're certainly the, representing the majority. How did you feel when a, when a board kind of, not moves against you, but to decides that they don't agree with you and they don't want to go down this path. Well, this, this is a, I didn't, so this is an interesting question because, so the deal we got at Subservio is, you know, when you tell people and I'd like, I have this slide and I have this info that says, you know, all the things that were off the chart about this deal, right? Like 
It's a no-brainer. But when we went to get, you know, approval for the deal, right? We went to the board, right, to get approval for the deal. Um, you know, people were like, mm, yeah, like, you know, like, I'm like, are you kidding? This is off the chart, right? We're here. We are just three years old. Like, come on. Like, and they're, you know, oh, yeah. Mm. So I was like, okay. So, you know, got the agreement to proceed, right? And one of the things, there was an earnout. We are a young company and there was an earnout for, you know, not our three hag, but pretty close to it. And like, one of the reasons I did it is I had a young family, right? I was doing it for a liquidity event to stop, to enjoy my family, to enjoy Whistler. And same with my partner, actually. Um, even though he was much older than me, his kids were the same age. So we were doing that for that reason. So, you know, and there's this crazy earnout that be, it was being put on this. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, let's, let's work it out. Let's work it out. And, you know, the one thing I give credit to my board for is they're pretty stickler on that, right? And they're making it pretty difficult. And, and the company DST Systems bought us. And they, they're very like really nice people, really like it was good to do a deal with them, but you know, they were holding to the earnout as you would with a three-year-old company, like makes sense. But once, I mean, this is a bit crazy, but I'm going to say it anyway, because it usually doesn't happen, but a deal like, you know, Subservio can happen is we went, we were down in Kansas city meeting with the executive team and we we're going back through everything. And where we are there to negotiate the earnout and all things. And, and I was leaving and the, the head of corp dev that I was dealing with uh, came to me and they said, um, what would you think about the net, the net present value of that earnout being paid on the day the deal closes? Ooh. So I stood there and went, What's your discount rate? <laughs> I, mean, I was like, I, I was like, yeah, I was jumping up and down. I was thinking, oh, okay, okay, mm hmm. All right. Uh, yep. I was curious about the calculation, but I wasn't going to push back yet. I was like, she's like, I think I'm going to go talk to the CEO right now about if there's the dollars available to pay that out. We know that you will deliver what you're saying. We, you have three years of history of doing it, of predictability. You have 10 years in another company. Why are we going to kill this deal on an earnout? And I was like, I'm like going, like I have to get to the airport, right? I'm like going, yeah, that's a really good idea. <laughs> like, you know, going, mm, I, uh, maybe I could sell that, right? I'm being like totally holding it back. You know, I get in the car, going to the airport. And, and I still didn't say anything. I was with another member of my team because I didn't, the driver could work for, DST, right? So I didn't say anything. It wasn't until we got to the airport and out on our own that we were like, woo, like this is huge. <laughs> yeah. Right. So then, so then the next day, you know, uh, I get a call back and, you know, at a corp dev that I'm working with says, yeah, yeah, we're going to, we're going to calculate the, the amount and we're going to bring it back and adjust the deal. And so I go to my board and my board is like questioning this. My board is, not jumping out of their seats. And I literally, it's a Friday afternoon and like we're getting close to the end of the deal now. I got to get the deal done. We're like, we're basically two weeks away, right? And we're, we're making this change and this is huge. It's three years of my life back, right? Because that's when an earnout is. So I'm like, I'm like, 
okay. And, and they're all pushing back and they're going, oh, it could be more and all. And I just said, my partner's on the board, right? Like he chairs the board. And I said, I think all of you need to get your heads out of your rears and think about this this weekend. Think about if you were me. If you were me, what would you want? Because honestly, I've drove this thing with the team. The team's been amazing. We haven't missed a step. We haven't, lost, we haven't missed our plan, nothing. If you were me, what do you think you'd want? And then I hung up and didn't answer the phone again till Monday. And my partner called literally every five to 10 minutes for, until I turned my phone off. I said, I'm not turning my phone back on till Monday. As soon as I turned my phone on Monday, he's calling again. I picked up and I said, so where are you now? He goes, all right, I'm with you. I'm with you. I said, well, <laughs> let's make this happen. Because this is one of the best deals that we've seen. Like it was one of the top three deals on Wall Street that year for the mid-market deals, right? So like, I'm just like, let's, let's, let's get it's a little less about you know, all of you, and uh, I'm going to put, I'm going to stand up and do a little bit for me. The one thing they did do is, is, you know, and that I did for, for the board, the shareholders is I, they put in place rather than a, uh, and it's a good solution, rather than an earnout, they put in place what we called the Susco escrow. And the Susco escrow took, you know, uh, enough of my proceeds Enough to make it like, you know, a big deal if I didn't follow through on what I said. But the only thing I couldn't do was voluntarily leave. Right. And they just did a Susco escrow timed and they were awesome. They were really, really good. And, you know, I learned in my first deal, negotiate your, your employment agreement first. Do not do it last. If anyone's listening, you got a deal on the table that is not that's not a selfish thing to do. Do you first, because they will ensure that when it's the end of the deal, they'll crunch you at the very end. And you just have to say yes. And it's not the deal you should be taking. So always wow. do it. So that's, that's, that's what I did the second time I negotiated my deal first. Right. And then the Susco escrow, that's fine. That's fine. That was a good thing to do. Yeah, and escrow is not at risk for those listening. Like, it's a deferred payment, right? Like, it's, it's, it's in yes. an account, it's there. You, as long as you do what you said you were going to do, the money just goes into your account on the said day, right? So it's... Yeah, and I, I got the, yeah, I got the majority of the payout. But, you know, they made it big, big enough that, you know, I'd follow through. But the one thing that, you know, my, my counterpart in uh, Corp Dev, you know, she was like, we've already seen you say what you would do, do what you said over like three businesses. It's inherent in who you are. In my second company, I didn't even have to, I didn't, like there was nothing tying me in to go to the other side. I said I would do it. I said I would do it for the team. I said I would do it for the company who bought company. I'm going to go through to the other side and follow yeah, through. You know, you've, you remind me of something, once again, we've said on this show so many times is that you know, if you've never been through a transaction, if you're listening to this podcast now, I mean, so many people listening haven't been through this. And so it, it is the great unknown. And I'm always saying, look, if you're really getting deals done can be really, really hard. Um, sure, there's always the odd story yeah, where it's it easier to slip through or got through easily. But most I know yeah. of have an, a lot of challenges. And you've got it really a deal only gets done when you've got willing buyer, willing seller who can come together and develop an enormous amount of trust in a short period of time. And and I think what what I keep hearing from your story, Shannon, is that not just your history, but clearly who you are as a person and the way you engage. And certainly I get this vibe from you is that you're somebody who 
A, has got the runs on the board. You do what you say you're going to do. And, and you were able to develop that trust. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, the, the big thing is and why, you know, we're, why I even wrote down metronomics, right? It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do is it's like explain how the systems connect together and when as a leader, you need to turn on what, what's the next step? Because there's a critical path through this to actually, you know, to drive this, you know, first you get, you, you get the foundation and then you pick up some momentum with momentum, you make better, faster decisions, right? Your team's with you. And then you get this compounding effect, right? Valuation effect. It's, it's like, it's a thing. We have many companies and companies identify where they are in this. But the, the big thing is, is that you know, when I think of Subservio, it's like, you know, we got a, such a good opportunity to take everything we learned in the first company to do it again. And I got to tell you, my partner called me twice a day Every day in the, you know, because he was at the round table that night when I got offered this technology, he knew all about it. It came from that industry. I was just like, compliance? Oh my gosh, really? And I like, so he called me every day for easily two months, easily two months. And he goes, have you made a decision? I've made a decision. And I'm like, you know, I'm working through like, all, all, you know, I'm mapping it all out. Right. And then I said, I need your help to map it all out. And then you know, and that those are the things that, you know, we had this plan and you said it, we had the end game in mind before we started. And when I think of this as, you know, last year was an Olympic year for sure, because it was odd, you know, that we had summer Olympics last year, we had a winter Olympics this year, and I come from a heavy sports background. And it was just a bit of a duh that, that I didn't think of it sooner of this three year highly achievable goal as, as our business Olympics. Right. I thought, wow, like it's so obvious. I did it playing high performance sports, the different sports that I played. We always had this championships that far out. And we worked back 12 quarters, coach, team. We needed to be certain places. We made adjustments and stuff changed. People got hurt, whatever. Right. But in business, we need to do the same. And I just think uh, like very, very fortunate to have had the opportunity because a lot of people don't get to do it twice, right? They, you, you know, some people do, but the majority go through a transaction once. And that's like, and that's a big thing. And it's one of the reasons why I guide so many, so many leaders, CEOs through the transaction. And the last thing I want to say, which I'm sure you've said and you've had people on talking about this on this show is that you know, for CEOs who are going to sell and exit, right? Like meaning you're, you're done. Um, you've got to have a plan. You have to have, to have a, pl a plan for what you're going to do after the fact, because so many, you know, this so many don't and the deal's done and you almost mourn that it's over it, rather than be excited to go on to whatever the next thing is. And lots of, lots of CEOs, owners had plans when the business sold especially during the pandemic and they were going to travel and do all these things and they couldn't. And that was really hard on a lot of leaders. And I know that, you know, when we're coaching through this, we have as much a plan for that deal and the company and everything beyond as we do for anyone who's exiting with that exit, like going to leave and stop. And that's why everyone laughs at me and they go like, you're retired. And I say, yeah, I'm retired. I said, I didn't even plan to do this. I plan to hang with my kids, 
My kids are grown up now. That was 11 years ago. So, uh, you know, this is really, really fun. And it's, such, it's been such a serendipitous journey to be able to, you know, just give back that experience to coaches and then coaches to clients. Uh, that's awesome. Shannon, I could talk to you all day about this stuff. I can tell. It, uh, and, 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 hey, I am looking forward to catching up <laughs> for that coffee and whistling with you. So uh, we will yes. definitely, we'll, we'll yes, definitely do good. that. Um, mindful of your time, um, are you cool with people reaching out to you? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, lots, of, lots and lots of people uh, link in to me. I love that. Uh, you can connect me, metronomunited.com. That's our website, metronomics.com will get there. Metronomics, the book will get you there. And there's, we have with all three books, we have uh, with Metronome Effect, Three Hegway, and Metronomics, there's full resource reader, like a reader resource portal for every one of those. Like this is, um, you know, this is, you know, this is to serve core purpose for no one to be as desperate as I was to grow up a, a business. And so and you all get to choose what that is, but it's all there for you to have, to download. There's tons and tons of resources. That's so awesome. Thank you so much. You've been very, very generous with your time today and generous with all of your information and resources for everyone listening. Um, if you are listening now um, and you'd like to reach out to Shannon, maybe just send her a little note, maybe let her know that you just heard her on the podcast so she gets a little context of where you're coming from. Love and, it. Uh, Love it. Yeah. And uh, Shannon, once again, so many insights. I'm really, really appreciative of your time and everything you've offered to us. So, uh, so thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Super fun. Great, great questions. And it's so fun talking about the deals. Deals are fun and uh, we got a plan for them. Indeed. Thanks again. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable and saleable. Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value by completing the Value Builder questionnaire. Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy, Grow, Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group, a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game. To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au. And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn.